It is the best-selling book in history. No volume ever written has been more loved and quoted. And its words, sometimes simple and sometimes mysterious, should always be studied carefully. It is the Bible, the Word of God. Welcome to Bible Answers Live, providing accurate and practical answers to all your Bible questions. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. To receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this broadcast, call 800-835-6747. Once again, that's 800-835-6747. Now, here's your host from Amazing Facts International, Pastor Doug Batchelor. Hello, friends. Would you like to hear an amazing fact? Rescuers are calling it a Christmas miracle. A 26-year-old man skiing in some remote mountains in Austria was caught and buried by an avalanche on December 25. When he failed to ski down the mountain, a friend called his mobile phone but only heard a crackling noise. He contacted the authorities that quickly mobilized a rescue team. After several hours searching, they were able to locate the skier because he was wearing an avalanche transceiver, a safety device that emits a detection signal. A rescue team, with the help of local police dogs, dug the man out of the snow. Now, the average time a person usually survives being buried by an avalanche is 18 minutes. By the time they found and extricated this man, he had been buried under the snow for five hours. Incredibly, other than surviving from hypothermia or uh, experiencing some hypothermia, he was unharmed. You know, the Bible says in the last days things are going to get very cold before they get very hot. And I'm not talking about climate change. Stay with us, friends. We're going to learn more on this edition of Bible Answers Live. You're listening to Bible Answers Live, accurate and practical answers to your Bible questions. Welcome, listening friends, to Bible Answers Live. And this is, as it says, a live international interactive Bible study. And you are invited to call in with your Bible questions. We've got maybe some new listeners out there that have not heard the program before. This is a program for you to call in any question related to the Bible or living a Christian life and doing our best with the Bible resources at our fingertips. We'll try to answer your question in, oh, about three or four minutes. We budget for each caller. You can also watch the program. We're streaming on Facebook at the Doug Batchelor Facebook page, or you can go to the Amazing Facts. It's simply Amazing Facts Facebook page and you'll see the stream of the program coming from the studio. With that, we're going to have prayer and get into tonight's program. Loving Lord, thank you for your blessings and for watching over us for a year. And Lord, we thank you for the power of your word that goes forth and changes lives. I pray right now that that word will come alive again and uh, touch hearts and just bless, Lord, as people call in with your questions, that they can get answers, discovering the truth that will set them free. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you know, I opened talking about this miracle that just happened a few days ago. This man in Austria was trapped in an avalanche for five hours and got out alive, other than, you know, being a little bit cold. Uh, the rescuers say somehow he was able to roll around where he had a small pocket of air that he could breathe. Usually you're kind of packed in concrete, it feels like, when you're caught up in, in an avalanche. And then I said, uh, things are going to get very cold before they get very hot. 
And well, we all know at the end, there's the lake of fire as a judgment for the lost. And even during the seven last plagues, one of those plagues says that men will be scorched with great heat. And I'm not talking about global warming. These are the seven last plagues of the great tribulation. But Jesus said, even before that, you read this in Matthew 24, and I'll start with verse 9. Speaking of the time of trouble, they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended and betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will rise and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Bible tells us in the last days, evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse. Love growing cold is one of the signs that Jesus gives of the last days and the lawlessness. I was just thumbing through some statistics before we went on the air regarding divorce. You know, divorce rates have skyrocketed in the, in the last hundred years. I think it used to be maybe two or three out of a uh, hundred people that got married would get divorced in, you know, 1865. Right now, about 42% of first marriages end in divorce. That's actually, believe it or not, an improvement from the eighties where it was up closer to 50%. What happened is a lot of people stopped getting married. They were living together. And uh, so the statistics wouldn't reflect a divorce because then they just stopped living together. Interestingly, some people think, well, I didn't get it right the first time. Second marriage, things will go better. 60% of second marriages end in divorce. Well, maybe third marriage will be better. Statistically, 73% of third marriages end in divorce. And if you're curious, the average age for divorce is about 30. And the average length for those who experience a divorce is seven years of marriage. Uh, you've heard of the seven-year itch. Well, I guess there may be some truth to that. But uh, that's not God's plan. The Bible says God said, let not man put asunder what God has joined together. But one of the signs is selfishness and cold heartedness and people's love growing cold. If you'd like to know more about how you can have a successful and a happy and a lasting marriage, this is for those who are married or you're not married or you know someone married, anyone would be blessed by this lesson. It's called Keys for a Happy Marriage. I'll send that to you for free if you just call. No strings attached. Nobody's going to show up your door and harass you. All you've got to do is call 800-835-6747. Now, that's the number for the free resource. One more time, 800-835-6747. To call in with your questions, for your Bible questions, 800-463-7297. That's 800-GOD-SAYS. One more time. 4637297 for your Bible questions. Going to go to the phones and talk first with Chris calling from Florida. Chris, you're on the air with Bible Answers Live. Hello, Pastor. Good evening. Good evening. Thank you again for taking my call. And my question is really quickly about um, Tree of Life. Yes. And uh, I, I refer to Revelation 22, verse 2. Okay. Do you want me to read it? Or are you going to read it? Sure, you can read it, please. In the middle of the street on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Now, uh, just one thing I want to say, in the original, you know, it doesn't say each tree. 
it says in the middle of the street on either side of the river was the tree. The tree is singular. But anyway, your question about that. My question is, well, this it refers to New Jerusalem, right? Yes. New Jerusalem. So why does it, how can we understand, how should we understand the last part of it uh, when it says that the leaves of the tree uh, will be a cure for the nations when everything will be over, right? Yeah, everything in heaven is going to be perfect. It doesn't mean there's no more growth in heaven. But let me give you uh, something to think about. It does not say here, the leaves of the tree are for the healing of sickness. It says the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Now here in this world, we're divided by nations. The nations are divided by patriotism, politics, culture, race, language. There's all kinds of divisions in this world. Will we be divided in heaven? No. And as the people... Right, so there will be no nations in heaven. It, so let me... The nations are healed. <laughs> what that means is when we gather in heaven under the trees, uh, under the leaves of the tree of life, we are all going to be healed from our division. So I don't think... Keep in mind, a lot of this is written in sort of beautiful poetry. I don't think John is saying that sick people in heaven are going to come up and they're going to rub the leaves in their wounds or something or be, you know, choking down some tea from the leaves. It's simply saying that all of the divisions of the nations are healed as we gather together under this singular tree of life. And this is the same tree that is in the Garden of Eden that you read about in uh, Genesis chapter 3. Right. It never calls it, you know, one of the trees alive. It says the tree. The is a def definite article. It's the one tree of life. But, you know, I've got a lesson we'll be happy to share with you on that, Chris. And it's, uh, it's our lesson talking about God's free health plan because the tree of life plays into uh, the ultimate health food in that those who eat from the tree never die. Remember, God chased Adam and Eve out of the garden and God said, lest he eat of it and live forever. And so those who can continually eat from the tree of life in heaven will never die. And he promises us eternal life. Okay, thank you so much for your call, Chris. And I hope that you'll uh, take advantage of that study guide on God's free health plan. Call 800-835-6747. We'll send it to you. You can download it for free if you go to the Amazing Facts website, amazingfacts.org. Talking next to Chike. Am I saying that right, Chike? Uh, question? Yeah, you're, you're saying it correctly. Um, I had a question about discernment. So I know that Solomon was praying for discernment. I've been praying for discernment because, you know, you want to know what things are coming from God in terms of, you know, your decisions and things like that. But the past few weeks have been, they've been very hard for me because I've been trying to discern things, but I get certain feelings and I don't know which ones are coming from God or if they're coming from my own self or things like that. So how can you know and discern what's coming from God and what's coming from um, um, not God? Yeah, from how do we discern between the two voices? Well, first of all, the voice of God is never going to tell you to do something contrary to the Word of God. Uh, Jesus said the Holy Spirit will bring to your remembrance the things that I have said. So that's one thing. Is it matching up with the Word of God? Uh, secondarily, the voice and impressions of God uh, are going to be leading you forward in becoming more like Christ. You know, I'm just thinking as I'm talking, I've got a book 
that's called How Do You Determine the Will of God? And in that book, it's, it's a free booklet, I'll be happy to send you, it basically goes through 12 points, and I'm realizing I don't have time to go through all 12 points. 12 points of how do you know the will of God. A lot of the points are the same ways you would know how do you discern the voice of God, because it's the voice of God that's leading you, you know. Now, first of all, we always go by the word, but sometimes you'll hear an inner voice. Isaiah talks about you'll hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. Elijah heard a still small voice. So is it okay, uh, Chike, if I send you that the book called Determining the Will of God? Yeah. All right, I'll send you a free copy of that. If All you've got to do is call this number and tell them the book. It's 800-835-6747. And it's got all the Bible principles. And one of the ways also to know is get good Christian counsel. The Bible tells us in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. You know, when you're feeling impressions, you might bounce it off Christian friends that you trust and say, you think God's speaking to me or is this my own mind playing games or is it the devil? Now, not every time you think something, it's not always the devil and always God. God did give you a free will and sometimes our minds wander of our own. <laughs> James says we're tempted when we're drawn away of our own less sometimes. We can't always blame the devil. All right, um, with that, that opens up another line if you want to call in with a Bible question, 800-463-7297. Talking next to David, calling from White Plains, New York. David, you're on the air with Bible Answers Live. Hi, I had a question about Exodus 25.5 where it mentions the word badger. Okay. And uh, I'm just saying that um, if you read other parts of the Bible that a person was not supposed to touch the skin of a, uh, let's say, four-legged animal. So uh, what is the animal? Well, it could have been a badger. The it, Because the Bible says that certain animals were unclean for food, it, it also said you weren't supposed to touch them, but that's usually speaking of in the context of a dead carcass because John the Baptist wore a garment of camel hair, and a lot of the Hebrew tents were made of camel skin, and they used skin... Uh, of animals that were even unclean animals once they had been uh, tanned and treated. They they weren't, now I don't know that they ever used pig skin for anything, but they, uh, they, they could use these unclean animals. Of course, they rode donkeys. Donkeys are unclean. You got to touch a donkey to ride it. Yeah. So the prohibition against uh, touching unclean animals, he's speaking of a dead carcass, meaning, you know, if you get around the dead unclean animal, uh, don't be tempted to even eat it, uh, even if you're hungry, because they're they're an abomination, God says. You know, a person might have a dog. Shepherds had dogs back then, and they'd pet their dog. <laughs> so that's an unclean animal. A dog's in the same family as a pig, they say. And the cat. Yeah. I, I'd, I'd avoid touching cats. I don't trust them. <laughs> anyway, no, I'm kidding. I've, I've got cats. I uh, hope that helps a little bit, David. Okay, thanks. Thanks. I now, You know, I did hear that, that word for uh, badger that's been debated if it was, you know, the kind of badger that we have because the badgers, the badgers in the desert there of Sinai or the Arabian Peninsula uh, could be a different animal than like the American badger. Anyway, thank you very much. You're listening to Bible Answers Live. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time. Call us at 1-800-GOD-SAYS.
over 50 years, Amazing Facts has shared the wonderful news of salvation and provided millions of Bible resources to people all over the world. We've built churches in India, proclaimed God's Word in China, and have sent free Bible studies around the globe. Today's program and free resources were made possible by our ministry partners, caring individuals like you. If you've been blessed by Amazing Facts, would you please consider partnering with us to reach others with the Bible truth? Your financial support today will help keep programs like this on the air so the blessings you've received can be shared with others. To find out more about becoming a ministry partner, please visit our website at amazingfacts.org. For life-changing Christian resources, visit afbookstore.com or call 1-800-538-7275. We'll talk next to Calvin calling from New Jersey. Calvin, you're on the air with Bible Answers Live. Hi, good evening, Pastor. Evening. Thank you for taking my call. Yes, I'm going to keep the theme going about um, unclean foods. Um, I'm wondering about duck. Is duck included in the unclean birds? It appears so. It appears that I think the swan is mentioned. Now, some of the Hebrew names for these birds, when they translated them to English, uh, some of it's a little difficult. But if I think if you look in the King James Version under the uh, unclean animals, it mentions the swan. And, you know, a goose, a duck would all be in the same category. The only birds that were clean... It mentions a lot of unclean birds. The owl is unclean. All the raptors were unclean. The birds of carrion were unclean. It seems the only birds that are mentioned as clean birds is what you would call a foraging bird. And these are the birds that kind of walk around in the woods and they pick through things like a turkey, a dove, a chicken. Um, you know, they're picking up seeds and bugs. And those were typically the ones. Ducks, they, a lot of the ducks, ducks are different. Some eat grass and and some uh, uh, they muck around the bottom of the pond and eat oysters or clams. And so uh, ducks, I think, are usually in the unclean category. I know that there's some disagreement on that, but I figure if you're in doubt, don't eat it <laughs> because there are so many other things. Everywhere I've been in my life where they serve duck, they serve other things too. Yeah, just I'd play it safe and and you wouldn't want to... Uh, Get sick. Okay. Hey, thanks. I sure appreciate that. Good question. Thank you very much. Uh huh. Talk next to. Uh, oh, by the way, uh, Calvin, if you're still listening, we do have that same lesson on God's health plan. Talks about the distinctions between the clean and the unclean. And I know Anthony, you're listening to what I'm saying right now. And from Rochester, you're on the air. Hi. Good evening, Mister Doug. How are you? Evening. Thanks for calling. All right. Um, my question um, has to do with uh, two verses. Uh, the first one is uh, Psalm chapter um, 8, verse 5, and it, um, it basically says, um, For you have made him a little lower than the angels and crowned him with glory and honor. Yes, exactly. But when I look in the original Hebrew, that word angels, I believe, comes from the word Elohim, which we know is the plural for God. But then I look in Hebrews chapter... Uh, 2 verse 9, and it says um, that Jesus was made a little lower than the angels. And then I look in the Greek, and it does say angels. So I'm just wondering, how do we reconcile that? First, how do we understand that concept of being made a little lower than God, Elohim? And then how does it reconcile with 
Jesus being made lower than the angels? Good question. You're correct that in Psalms, that word is Elohim, and Elohim is a plural for God. So the way it really reads is you've crowned him and made him a little lower than the gods. The angels in some places in the Old Testament are called the sons of God. These are spiritual creatures. They're powerful creatures. There are places where that word Elohim plural is used for the angels, and this is one of them. If you're wondering, well, how do we know for sure? The answer is Paul in the New Testament makes it really clear. When he quotes Psalms, he says, angels. You have made them a little lower than the angels. Man is a whole lot lower than God, because God says, as the heavens are high above the earth, so are my ways above your ways. I mean, he's infinitely higher than us. Right. But if you look at man and angels, angels are ministering spirits. They also are created beings. God made the angels. He made man. God did not make himself. So uh, when it says you've made him a little lower than the angels, it would have to be creatures he created. See what I'm saying? I see. Okay. Yes, I do. Good question. You're right. That uh, That is the word Elohim there. Just You can look in Job where it says the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. Do a search on Elohim. I think you'll see a few other places where the word is, um, it's not just talking about God. You know, for example, in the Bible, King David, sometimes they called him Lord. <laughs> you know, sometimes people called uh, the ruler of Egypt Lord. Uh, I think that even Joseph's brother said the Lord of the land, speaking of Joseph. Certain words that were words of divinity or lofty words were interchangeable with God. You need to read the context. I understand. Gotcha. That makes sense. Thank you very much. All right. Hey, thank you so much. Appreciate that. And uh, talking next with uh, Matthew. Um, Matthew calling from Nevada. You're on the air. Oh, hi. Thanks for taking my call. Absolutely. And your question. My question is about Deborah and Barak. When, when Barak refused to go into war without Deborah, do you think he was being a coward or was he actually doing God's will and doing what God wanted him to do? Or was he just, what do you think? Well, she was a prophetess. And it was, the uh, soldiers wanted to go into battle with the reassurance of God's presence. And I think that he didn't want her to go into battle as if, you know, she was going to be on the front lines as a secret weapon. Sure. But the priests often went into battle. You know, you could read where Jehoshaphat went into the battle. The priests went with him. And they were actually uh, playing music. Uh, when Hophni and Phinehas went into battle, you know, these are their priests, the, the sons of uh, Eli. I think he was saying, I want the presence of God. I've not read this as an act of cowardice. I think he was just saying, it's going to be a great support for us to see you there cheering us on. Let me give you an example. When Joshua went into battle against the Amalekites, he had Moses was standing up on a hill where they could all see him. And when they saw Moses with his hands lifted up to God, they were victorious. When Moses' hands got tired, he put them down, they got defeated. The presence of Moses there interceding and cheering them on encouraged them. And I suspect that uh, they wanted Deborah there as a, a, spec, a spectator, knowing she was there interceding to encourage them. Yeah, I think so. I think he was trusting that Deborah was, in fact, a prophetess and trusting in what she had said, that God told her. Yeah. So, you know, the, the presence of the prophet is always encouraging. Matter of fact, uh, in that same battle I talked about with Jehoshaphat, it tells us they brought Elisha the prophet with them. Now, he wasn't there to 
shoot an arrow or sling a, a sword. He was there just for the moral support and guidance, which he did give them in the battle. Elisha the prophet went with Jehoshaphat and the king of Israel into battle against Moab, Ammon, and the Edomites, and they were victorious. I'm guessing that's what it was, and uh, good question, Matt. I appreciate that. Well, thank you, Pastor, and you have a good night. God bless. Thank you. Be safe on the road. <laughs> Bye-bye. All right, talking next. Let me see. We've got three minutes before the break. Going to talk to Sharon, calling from Cleveland, Ohio. Sharon, you're on the air with Bible Answers Live. Hi, Pastor Doug. How are you? Doing good. How are you doing? Good. Very good. I had a question this evening about goats. Okay. Uh, wondering how I could explain to some people I know uh, biblically if they exist or not. Are there evil spirits? Yes. The Bible calls them fallen angels. Are they resurrected dead people? No. The Bible tells us that dead don't know anything. Can fallen angels impersonate the dead? Yes. They did this in the first book of Samuel. King Saul was fooled by an apparition claiming to be Samuel the prophet that had come back from the dead. That's a ghost. Nothing in the Bible. Matter of fact, Isaiah says, do not try to communicate with the dead. Moses said, those who consult mediums, a medium is someone who can talk to the dead spirits, those people were to be stoned. No, uh, no believer was supposed to be involved in the dark arts. Uh, Paul said, have nothing to do with those works of darkness. So Satan can impersonate, you know, Satan knows uh, my dead grandma and everybody else, and and he knows what their features and secrets were, and he can impersonate them, the sound of their voice, their walk, and idiosyncrasies. I mean, he's a master of light, him and his fallen angels. And so when people say this house is haunted, uh, you know, I don't believe in haunted houses. Do I believe they're evil spirits? Yes. I'm not afraid of them, but I have no question there are evil spirits out there, and they can, you know, do things and make things go bump in the night and try to, you know, make the curtains move and sounds in the dark and <laughs> try and spook people. When people say, oh, no, there's an evil spirit in the house, they say, so what? Don't you believe that, that angels are real and good and bad? I said, so I have no doubt that they are real. Okay, that's what I needed to know. Yeah, because they say a good spirit came to them. Oh, some friends of yours? Of a dead person, yeah. Yeah, you got to be real careful because... Um, yeah, the, the Bible tells us that the living know they'll die, the dead know not anything. They do not come back to their house. That's in the book of Job. You can read Job 14. In fact, I will give you a Bible study for free, and it covers uh, the subject of ghosts and these evil spirits. And it's called, Does God Inspire uh, Psychics and Astrologers? And it deals with uh, fallen angels. So if you call the resource number, Sharon, I appreciate your call. Call 800-835-6747, 800-835-6747, and ask for our study guide on, uh, we've got a study guide on the astrologers and soothsayers. We've got a website called Ghost Truth. Go to ghosttruth.org. Friends, we're taking a quick break. More Bible questions on the way. Stay tuned. Bible Answers Live will return shortly.
throughout recorded history. Tales of ghosts and spirits can be found in folklore in nearly every country and culture. Egyptians built pyramids to help guide the spirits of their leaders. Rome sanctioned holidays to honor and appease the spirits of their dead. Even the Bible tells of a king that used a witch to contact the spirit of a deceased prophet. Today, ancient folklore of spirits and apparitions have gone from mere superstitions to mainstream entertainment and reality. Scientific organizations investigate stories of hauntings and sightings, trying to prove once and for all the existence of ghosts. Even with all the newfound technology and centuries of stories all over the world, there is still no clear-cut answer. So how do we know what's true? Why do these stories persist? Does it even matter? We invite you to look inside and find out for yourself. Visit deathtruth.com. Did you know Amazing Facts has a free Bible school that you can do from the comfort of your own home? It includes 27 beautifully illustrated study lessons to aid in your study of God's Word. Sign up today for this free Bible study course by calling 1-844-215-7000. That's 1-844-215-7000. For life-changing Christian resources, visit afbookstore.com. You're listening to Bible Answers Live, where every question answered provides a clearer picture of God and His plan to save you. So what are you waiting for? Get practical answers about the good book for a better life today. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time. To receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this evening's program, call 800-835-6747. Once again, that's 800-835-6747. Now, let's rejoin our hosts for more Bible Answers Live. Welcome back, listening friends. And if you've gotten on board along the way, this is Bible Answers Live. You can call in with your Bible questions by calling 800 800- Four six three seven two nine seven, and you can watch via Facebook right now. See what's happening. It's pretty basic here in the studio, but you'll see what we're doing, taking calls from around the world, and uh, we're going to go back to the phones and talk. Let me see who is next here. Talking with Margie from Newark, New Jersey. Margie, you're on the air with Bible Answers Live. Are you there? Yeah. Hi, and your question tonight. Um. Now, where's that question about when you get a divorce, the wife is not supposed to go back to the husband? Yes, it does say that. In um, in Deuteronomy, uh, God wanted to avoid um, people who are married getting divorced, trying out another partner, and then saying, oh, that didn't work out. I'm going to go back to my first husband or wife. To discourage that behavior, God said that if a man puts away his wife and she becomes another man's wife, he cannot go back and take his first wife uh, should she be divorced again. And lest you, it corrupts the land. 
And you know what? I will send you a book that talks about that, Margie. It talks about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. And I'll send you a free copy. It is 800-835-6747. Ask for the book, Marriage, Divorce, and Remarriage. And we'll send that to you, Margie. Thank you for your call. Kathy in Tennessee. Kathy, you're on the air with Bible Answers Live. Okay. It's nice to meet you. Talk with you, Pastor Doug. I appreciate that. Likewise. I am reading the book Triumphant Truth for my morning watch book. And on one of the dates, there was a question about Satan being immortal. And I understand that he's not. And that it says, um, according to 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 16, that God alone has immortality. Well, does that mean then no angel? Do angels die? Well, the fallen angels, uh, the Bible says that they are going to be cast into the lake of fire. Right. And you can read that in Matthew 25 and Jude, the book of Jude. Um, But the unfallen angels, yeah, they live forever. They don't get old and die. So they have eternal life, just like we will have eternal life. So when the Bible says God... But they're not considered immortal, or are they? No, the unfallen angels have immortality. But when the Bible tells us God alone who has immortality, he's talking about those in the world. He's, he's not talking about the unfallen worlds or angels that are unfallen. I think the context of his, his comments here are speaking of here in this world, only God has immortality. We're all going to get old and die. Now, there are a couple of exceptions. You know, Elijah and Enoch went to heaven without dying. So you could say, well, they're immortal. They were created and they're never going to die. And then you've got people who are alive in the world today that may be alive when Jesus comes. I certainly hope I'm one of them. I'd, I wouldn't mind at all not having to find out what death is like. <laughs> but we receive eternal life when we accept Jesus. But physical immortality comes with the resurrection of the just. Okay. All right. I appreciate your answer. Good question. Yes. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you, Kathy. All right. We're going to talk with Manny in Chicago. Manny, welcome to Bible Answers Live. Hi, Pastor Doug. Thank you. Hi. Um, while I drive to work, uh, hi, how are you? While I drive to work, I see a billboard posted. Usually I feel like it's targeted to, towards Christians for them to kind of ask themselves, well, it says Jesus is in the Quran and Muhammad is in the Bible. Do you know, I know you said you have read the Quran. Um, do you know uh, if this is true or not? Well, to be honest, I've not read the Quran from cover to cover. I've read large excerpts of the Quran. It's sometimes a difficult book to read because it's it doesn't follow a story. It's just a lot of proverbs and statements and utterances that are put down. Yes, Jesus is mentioned in the Quran, and I've I've read that. Of course, uh, most people read the Quran in Arabic. I've read some English translations of it. And they speak highly of Jesus. They do not believe Jesus was the Son of God. They do not believe Jesus died on a cross. And Muhammad, as far as Muhammad being mentioned in the Bible, the name Muhammad does not appear in the Bible. There's a prophecy in Revelation that speaks about this oppressing influence against Christianity. It would be a judgment against Christianity. And that's one of the um, judgments. And they believe that's Muhammad and Islam that became a great persecuting force against Christianity. And to this day, there's great tension around the world between those two religions. So if someone puts up a a billboard and they try and make it sound like the religion of Islam and Christianity, can't we all just get along? I can get along with people from all different backgrounds, but as far as our faith being the same, Islam is not the same as Christianity. 
They do not believe in the deity of Christ, which is a foundational teaching of Christianity. They do not believe the, uh, the promise that God made to Abraham regarding Isaac. They say Abraham offered Ishmael on the mountains of Moriah. And so there's, I, I don't believe Muhammad was inspired and that the Quran is an inspired book. So there's a lot of division on fundamentals between Christianity and Islam. I've got friends that are Muslims and we can be friends. We get along fine. We love sit down, you know, have a meal with them and enjoy each other's company, but have to respectfully disagree on theology. That's a long answer. Did that make sense? Did I lose you? Hang on, Sugar. <laughs> Manny, it seems your call dropped off. Did you hear my answer? Yes. Okay, thank you. Did that make sense? Yeah, it did. Thank you. All right. Hey, thank you so much. Sure appreciate your call. God bless. You have a good night. All right, let me see. Um, talking to Annie, calling from, is it Connecticut? Annie, you're on the air. Welcome to the program. Thank you. I have a question. Um, I'm Hispanic, and we have a custom, like, when we say hi or goodbye to our children they always ask for our blessing and we say god bless you i know jacob was only blessed once by his father i'm just wondering is that okay absolutely the the paternal blessing where isaac placed his hands on jacob and he placed his hands later on esau and, and jacob placed his hands on this his sons and blessed them the paternal blessing was a solemn event more like a baptism or a marriage where the father would do that once. But Moses told the children of Israel that whenever the priests met with them, they would pronounce a blessing on them. And you've probably heard where that phrase where it says, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and be gracious to you and give you peace. So they would regularly bless the people, even in the greeting shalom that the Jews say it's, is a blessing of peace. So certainly, nothing wrong. I saw my kids this week, and I said, God bless you. <laughs> so nothing wrong with that. You want to pray for God to bless them all the time, especially with spiritual blessings, right? Oh, thank you. Wonderful. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Good question. Appreciate that. All right. Let's see here. We're talking to Rick in New Jersey. Rick is calling. You're on the air with Bible Answers Live, Rick. Hi, Pastor Doug. Uh, my question tonight, I was, I was really recounting the story in First Chronicles 21, how David took his senses and God became extremely uh, angry with David and he gave him a choice of three punishments that David had to succumb to. Why, why was God angry with David for that? And why was his anger so severe? Well, God had told the children of Israel that he wanted them to trust him. I mean, here you've got David that so many times in his life he's gone into battle and he's trusting the Lord. It didn't matter how big Goliath was. David won so many battles with inferior forces. And God had always watched over him. God had given him victory. I, I, there's stories about David and his mighty men where David and one other friend took on a Philistine army. I mean, you don't often hear sermons about that, but some of the exploits of David and his forces. So now David is taking a census to see how big is my kingdom. He's trusting in their numbers instead of trusting in the Lord. It was an issue of pride in David's heart. And even as David is telling Joab, go number the people, Joab is saying, why are you doing this? Even his general knew that there was something wrong with 
why David was doing this. You can read here, Joab says, and I'm reading in, in uh, 1 Chronicles 21, and you look in, I think it's verse 3, Joab says, why would he be a cause of guilt in Israel? He says, you're going to bring guilt on us. Why does my Lord require this thing, meaning the king? Uh, David was something that was going on. He's looking at how the Lord had blessed the kingdom. They defeated all their enemies. He's thinking, I'm the king of the world. How big is my army? And he's trusting in how many soldiers. He said, I better count my soldiers. And kind of like a person starts counting their money all the time. You wonder, <laughs> you know, what if if they're uh, enjoying life or if they're just coveting money. Okay, well, that explains it. <laughs> yeah, and it's not that it's wrong to count a good shepherd counts his sheep. You you can read the parable where Jesus said there was a shepherd that had a hundred sheep and he noticed one was missing. Well, how does he know one's missing? Because he counted them. So it's not that there's a sin in counting. It's that God didn't want them to trust in their numbers because God said, look, one of you is going to chase a thousand. If I'm with you, Jonathan and his armor bearer, he said, there's no restraint with the Lord to deliver by many or few. The two of us, they took on 20 Philistines. So David was going from the person of faith to a person of pride, and God brought a judgment on the whole nation. You know, it's, it's also okay, an interesting, that's, that's yeah, interesting story also, Rick, because this is the event where finally David sees an angel with a sword drawn over Jerusalem, over Mount Moriah, where Abraham had offered Isaac, and that becomes the place where the temple is built. David prays for his nation there. God stops the plague. And that site becomes the site where the temple is later built. Okay, um, let me see here. Talking to Nicole. Nicole in Nashville, Tennessee. Hi, Nicole. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor. Thanks for taking my call. My question has to do with kind of all the shootings that have been taking place in the context of all of those. Is taking lethal action in self-defense or in defense of others justified in the Bible? I guess, how do we reconcile the events of the Old Testament um, and Christ saying, turn the other cheek and live by the sword, God by the sword in the New Testament? Yeah, good question. Jesus said, love your enemy, turn the other cheek. So if uh, you know someone comes into your house and they're an armed assailant, is it wrong to use lethal force to stop them? Absolutely nothing wrong with that. Now, someone just sent me an email. I guess this happened today in Fort Worth. Yeah. You heard about that. Yeah, they walked into a church and started shooting people. And fortunately, that church had armed security and somebody was ready and they stopped him. But may have been, you know, multiple shootings where I think uh, at least one of the uh, congregants died. Could have been much worse. When Jesus says, love your enemy and turn the other cheek, he's talking about interpersonal relationships. That is very different from civil law. You've got personal law and you've got civil law. Civil law, you can never ask the police, just turn the other cheek if you see a robber going in a store or a bank. They are required to respond. And Paul says in the New Testament that the soldiers, the government, Caesar, he bears the sword for a reason and that we should respect that. And when he talks about that, he means, uh, you know, there are consequences when you break the law and you're going to pay those penalties. Paul said, you know, they don't bear the sword in vain. Um, there is a time for self-defense. And of course, in the Old Testament, it's the same God as the New Testament. 
civil law had to be obeyed and there were consequences. I think that, you know, if I'm having an argument with a brother and he gets upset with me and he smacks me, I might offer him the other side of the, my face, not retaliate. That's an interpersonal relationship. If I see an armed assailant, or not even armed, if I see a man hitting a woman and she can't defend herself, I, I've actually had to do this before. It's, that's why I'm saying it. I, I will intervene physically if I need to. I was doing some counseling once years ago and the husband and wife got into a fight and he started beating his wife in front of me. <laughs> and I told them to stop. They wouldn't listen. I had to jump between them and actually wrestle the guy off of, of uh, you know, beating his wife. So, you know, I have no regrets about that. So sometimes you must use physical force. Those are the civil laws, interpersonal laws. Yeah. Now, Jesus said to Peter, those that live by the sword die by the sword. And of course, that's still true. You know, we Christians shouldn't say, I'm going to go spread Christianity by killing people. That's what the conquistadors did. And that's a really bad example. You can't force a person into being a Christian. But as far as a person having practical um, self-defense, you know, I'd leave that to every individual, but I don't see any biblical mandate that says it's wrong for a person to uh, defend their home. That clears it all up. I've always wondered. Thank you so much, Pat. All right. Thanks so much, Nicole. Appreciate your call. You're listening to Bible Answers Live. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time. Call us at 1-800-GOD-SAYS. Journey back through time to the center of the universe. Discover how a perfect angel transformed into Satan, the arch-villain. The birth of evil. A rebellion in heaven. A mutiny that moved to earth. Behold the creation of a beautiful new planet and the first humans. Witness the temptation in evil. Discover God's amazing plan to save his children. This is a story that involves every life on earth. Every life. The Cosmic Conflict. If God is good, if God is all-powerful, if God is love, then what went wrong? Would you like to know God's plan for our troubled world and solutions for your life's challenges? Beautifully redesigned and updated, Amazing Facts 27 Bible Study Guides provide straightforward Bible-based answers that are enlightening, encouraging, and easy to understand, giving you real, relevant Bible answers to questions like, how can I have healthier relationships? When will Jesus come? And much more. Order yours today by visiting afbookstore.com or by calling 800-538-7275. You're listening to Bible Answers Live. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time. Call us at 1-800-GOD-SAYS. Uh, Bob is calling from Washington. Bob, you're on the air with Bible Answers Live. Hi, Pastor Doug. Hey, thanks for calling. No problem. Nice to be able to talk. with wanting to see if you could uh, give me a encore presentation you did you did a few weeks ago of 
first Corinthians fifteen twenty nine you were talking about um the punctuation question marks um, yes this is on the verse baptized for the dead yes you want me to try and explain that yeah i i going to try to try to um make some do some commas and that kind of thing while while you talk to me all right let me let me see if i can help you now i'm reading from the new king james version cuz some translations are slightly different uh, it'll be almost the same as the king james version Friends, for those who are listening, this is a verse in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 29, that some people have been confused, and I think is Paul saying it's okay to baptize for dead people. And there's one denomination that even after people have been dead and gone for years, they say, well, I'm going to get baptized for my dead relatives. And some people be baptized 20 times for all their dead relatives. And nothing else in the Bible teaches that you can get baptized in behalf of another person to save them. So it creates a real theologic quagmire to think that. And then you got people who say, well, I'm going to live a wicked life and you just get baptized for me when I'm gone. Well, you know, that's like the teaching of purgatory. The Bible doesn't teach that. But this is the verse. Let me read what it says. Otherwise, this is uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 29. Otherwise, what will they do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead do not rise at all, why then are they baptized for the dead? And people read that. Now, that's what it says. And they think, oh, well, it sounds like people are getting baptized for the dead. It's a punctuation issue. 1 Corinthians 15 is all about the resurrection. Paul is saying, otherwise, what will they do who are baptized? Comma. For the dead, or actually, what will they do who are baptized? Period. For the dead, comma, if the dead do not rise at all, comma, then why are they baptized? Comma. For the dead? question mark. He's saying if the dead don't even get, don't even rise, why would anybody living get baptized? Are you getting baptized for the dead? He's asking it as a rhetorical kind of a sarcastic question. He's talking to people that are doubting the resurrection. He said, why are you bothering getting baptized? If there's no resurrection, why get baptized? Are you getting baptized so you can stay dead and baptized? You see what I'm saying? If you punctuate it that way, Paul is speaking in a little bit, uh, kind of a rhetorical statement. He's not at all making an argument for getting baptized for the dead. Other people read it and they say, maybe the Corinthians had a practice of baptizing for the dead. And he's saying, you don't even believe in the resurrection. Why are you getting baptized for the dead? He's not condoning it. He's asking them. Either way, he's not endorsing the practice of baptism for the dead. I believe it's a punctuation problem. There is, there is no punctuation in the original Greek. Translators are the ones who put in the punctuation and that changes the meaning entirely. It's like, if, I, if you're going shopping and I tell you no price too high, you might think, oh, I got Doug's credit card, no price is too high. But if I say, no, 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 what I said was no, comma, price too high, that changes it completely. It's an opposite meaning. It means don't buy anything, the price is too high. See what I'm saying? Yes. Putting the commas in the right place here gives a whole different meaning to it. I think that's the, I think that's the solution. All right. Hey, thanks so much. Appreciate that, Bob. Hope that helps you a little bit with that. Let's see. We're going to keep going. We got uh, Carl calling from Canada. Carl, you're on the air with Bible Answers Live. Good evening, Pastor Dark. Evening. Uh, my question is about baptism. Um, in Ephesians 4, verse 5, it says, One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Does that mean it's just one baptism? Someone can be baptized only once, or it's just one form of baptism? Good question. Well, when Paul says one Lord, one faith, one baptism, now, Carl, we're getting some static, so I'm just putting you on mute for a moment. 
when he says one Lord, one faith, one baptism, he, he's not saying that you can never be baptized a second time. Now, God is not encouraging people to be baptized multiple times. Baptism is a sacred occasion like a marriage. But there are examples in the Bible. Acts chapter 19, you've got an example of somebody being baptized. Uh, actually, there's a dozen believers that are baptized a second time. They were baptized by John the Baptist, and then they're baptized again by Paul. And the Essenes who practiced baptism, they're, they're the ones who lived during the time of John the Baptist, down by the Dead Sea there, they would uh, baptize a person more than once. And so the idea represented a cleansing and a commitment to the Lord. I don't believe a person, once they've been baptized biblically by immersion, they need to continue to get baptized. Now, if a person totally denies the Lord and they backslide, they come back again, they may need to be rebaptized. If someone just totally didn't understand the truth and when they were baptized and they come into a whole new understanding of what the truth is and a commitment to Christ, they might get rebaptized. You know, you think that may, most people once in their life, some maybe twice, very rarely, if a person's baptized three times, something's wrong. It's like, you know, when someone gets married five times, <laughs> you start thinking, well, wait a second here. But there is no command that it can only be one time because Paul did it more than once, and he's the one that wrote Ephesians. Now, could you hear my answer, Carl? That was uh, very clear. Thank you very much. All right. Hey, and before I lose you, I just want to let you know that we do have a book called Baptism, Is It Really Necessary? Both for you and for our previous caller had a question on baptism. And we'll send you a free copy of that. The number is 800-835-6747 to get your free book, Baptism, Is It Really Necessary? Oh, we might have time for half a phone call. Let me see who's next here. Uh, Donna calling from Connecticut. Donna, you're on the air with Bible Answers Live. Hi. Hi. How are you doing? Good. And your question? Um, what does the Bible talk about tattoos? Well, you know, there's one time the Bible mentions tattoos, and that's in Leviticus 19.28. And let me read it to you, okay? Okay. It says, uh, you shall not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead, nor tattoo any marks on you, for I am the Lord. The Bible tells us our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And in the Bible, the temple was a beautiful building with pure white marble on it. God did not want them to spray graffiti on the the exterior of the, um, of the temple. Mm-hmm. You know, our bodies, our skin, I believe that God wants us to respect our bodies. We're, we're probably not supposed to use our skin like a billboard to advertise. One of the sad things I find is people tattoo things that they think is really cool. It's a fad when they're 20 years old or 15 years old or whatever it is. And a few years later, it's totally out of style. And then they look silly. I knew a girl that tattooed her boyfriend's name on her arm. And then they had a big fight and left him and for the next 30 years, she had her boyfriend's name on her arm. Didn't even like him. <laughs> so, you know, people might think something's cool. A lot of people get tattoos when they're high and they're drunk, and then they wake up and say, oh, what in the world was I thinking? So, you know, when you put marks on your body and they're going to be there for a long time, I've got another friend that got tattoos on his face, and nobody would hire him because he looked kind of scary, and he had a very painful procedure to take the tattoos off his face. I think we ought to stick with what the Bible says, don't you think? Yeah. All right. Hey, thanks so much for calling. Appreciate your call. Listening, friends, we're just about uh, out of time for tonight's program. And, you know, if you have not 
uh, done this before and you've enjoyed the broadcast, this is a great time to just go to our website and click that donate button. Uh, If you're blessed by the broadcast, if you're edified, it's only because other people have clicked and donated to keep us on the air. We are 100% supported by people just like you. Thank you so much for the privilege of being able to study the Word of God with you. It is a joy for us. See you then. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast. We hope you understand your Bible even better than before. Bible Answers Live is produced by Amazing Facts International, a faith-based ministry located in Granite Bay, California. Do you feel as though your world is spiraling out of control? Or perhaps new life challenges are frightening you more than they should? Are you sinking while you're thinking? Excessive worry can consume you, eating you from the inside out, resulting in sickness, insomnia, and paralyzing fear. It can also damage relationships, ruin opportunities, and yes, diminish your witness for the gospel. Worry affects everybody differently, but it's all driven by fear. So how can you overcome a world full of reasons to be anxious? I'd like to recommend for you my new book, Finding Peace in a World of Worry. You'll discover a lifeline to victory, a place where you can cast your cares upon Christ and experience a serenity that isn't subject to your circumstances. Get your copy of Pastor Doug's Finding Peace in a World of Worry today. Call 800-538-7275 or visit afbookstore.com. Deep within the pages of the Bible, stories of great heroes, heroes of great deeds, great love, and great sacrifice. But behind them is another hero, hidden in plain sight amid the shadows. He was there from the beginning, and he'll be there until the end. Discover the golden thread of a Savior woven throughout the entire Bible tapestry. Shadows of Light, seeing Jesus in all the Bible. Get your copy today by calling 800-538-7275 or visit afbookstore.com. If you'd like to enhance your study of God's Word, visit our website at www.amazingfacts.org and sign up for our free Bible study course. And make sure to check out our online bookstore at afbookstore.com, which offers thousands of inspiring books, DVDs, and more to help you get the most out of God's Word. To take advantage of the offers you've heard on this broadcast, call us at 800-835-6747 or visit our website at amazingfacts.org. Did you enjoy this program? Make sure to tell your family and friends. Tune in next time for more Bible Answers Live. Honest and accurate answers to your Bible questions.